everybody's buying up stetses in overpriced Broadway boots. Now they all talk with an accent from Nashville to Timbuktu. A lot of sissies and buds and their honky tonk duds with the urban cowboy blues. It's all had no cattle shafts, no saddle on sizzle, and no stay. The talks get a louder, a lot of shot, no powder, ain't much more than I can take. Well, it won't be long for the curtain's drawn if it ain't happened yet. Cause everybody wants to be a cowboy till it's time to do cowboy shit. Welcome to episode 149 of Cowboy Ship. My name is Ted Stoven. He is Dustin Edwards, and we are back. It's middle of summer. Uh, it's already August. That uh, once again, Canadian summer is almost over. <laughs> Goes quick. Yeah, it doesn't take long, does it? No. Um. Okay. So where uh where you been, Dustin? What's been going on, and uh and what's next before the end of the season here? Oh, had a big run. Uh, went out to Morris, Manitoba, for the first time. Yeah, that was super cool. Um. Saturday Perf, they had seven thousand people. What at the, the rodeo? At, at the rodeo, no shit. They shit. they had security and they had to shut down their ticket offices because they didn't have a, a single wristband left to get in. They had people manning the the gates and people were offering them bribes to try and get in to watch the rodeo. One fourteen year old girl was offered a thousand dollars cash to let five people in to watch the rodeo. What? Which I was thoroughly disappointed about because had I known. I would have they the would money. have been sitting on the bucket. Hell, they could have sat on a bull. They could have sat with me in the answer stand. Bucks, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, it was pretty wild out there, man. I'd never been there. The committee was great. They fed us brisket Dang. and drinks, and Dang. it was a pretty wild party. Like they ran, they ran the whole grounds out of booze on Saturday night. Holy shit! And um, I think they were just going to liquor stores and getting whatever they could. So, holy! I heard at the dance on Saturday they were just serving. Uh, like whiskey was all they had left. Really? Yeah. So Holy it was a crap. it was a really cool event. Yeah, they they were so hospitable. Picked us up at the airports, drove us around. Uh, really? really nice committee. It was oh, awesome. that's awesome. Yeah, and a lot of them had a uh, cowboy shit lanyards on their uh, on their accreditation passes. Really? From, like a Western store in that area or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Probably from uh, well, the only place close by would be the Canada West Boots, like the factory outlet. Yeah. So maybe that's where they got them. No from. way. They but, already yeah. had them. Yeah. So had they been listening to the show? Well, I said, are you a fan of the show? And she goes, oh, I bought this at the Western store. Yeah. I must have bought a bunch for everybody. He's one of the committee members. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it was super cool. (laughs) Really cool. And then- Well, uh, thanks, Morris. Appreciate it. Yeah. So Morris was awesome. Then uh, went from there to Medicine Hat Stampede, which was cool. Uh, Got to catch up with Bo Cooper, our last guest. Oh, yeah. And he said people had been listening. Yeah. Uh, He'd said here lots of reviews about the show. And hell, he's already trying to- uh, petition to get on another to get episode. On back on again. I said, uh, you go to Vegas and you win uh, something shiny. Yeah, then we'll talk to you. There. So I had a visit with him and his mom. And yeah, his mom's like, yeah, I've listened to it a few times already. And uh, so that was really cool. Uh, yeah, I heard lots of cool reviews on the Bo Cooper show while on the road. Uh, Medicine Hat banged out three perfs. Um, we finished up Saturday afternoon. Vanilla Ice took over. <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah. He was in Calgary on Friday and oh, Medicine okay. Hat on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently he just likes sang some tunes and then like uh, had a DJ booth on the stage and let people come up on the stage and just party. Really? Yeah. No so way. Uh, they had Joe Nichols the night before. No we way. Were, uh, me and Dave and Allie elected to go to the Beef Eater. Instead. Which is a really Sorry, good Joe steakhouse. Nichols. Yeah. And uh, Joe Nichols got put on the, the back burner. So. Well, that's okay. Yeah. 
you'd so, be you'd be uh you'd be cool to be a fool to not uh that's true not go to the beef i was just worried tequila was going to make my clothes fall off that night so <laughs> yeah we went to the beef eater uh real famous well, you didn't you didn't end up at broken heartsville did you no i did not that's good no uh ali was there she uh warmed my heart let me have a steak and <laughs> me and her and dave had a little date date oh, night that's fun uh dave paulson and then um uh, and then we uh, slingshot it into the Bruce Stampede on uh, Sunday. On Sunday, yeah. So Bruce was a, a huge success. We ate. I want to say we dusted out. Do you know what we went all in on the Viking dogs? Oh, okay. the Viking wieners. Oh yeah. So of course that's the famous hot dog. Um, they they delivered us numerous amounts of of Viking wieners. Now they didn't come with condiments, so I actually took over music directing uh, for a bunch of the. Uh, a barrel racing oh, really? so that uh podcast editor sean morton could uh, make a catch-up run <laughs> uh, these are things that are very important when you're in bruce alberta folks um, oh it's nice you can do that That's yeah awesome. and then you know like robbie uh robbie chomick who you know and is a, a good friend yeah. of ours he delivered us up ice cream sandwiches and revels oh really so we did as about as much eating as we did work possibly this, as much as you possibly could on this show and uh That's awesome. i'll tell you what bruce never disappoints ricky ticky's there and we have lots of fun and we're telling stories up in the booth and the Bronc riders were there from yeah. Hardgrass. From Pollockville, from Pollockville. Before, which was also great. Yeah. And they showed up there on Sunday and they were in one. Well, the one time I'm I went sure to Pollockville and people didn't go to bed there. Yeah. Just partied like all night. And of course, didn't go to bed. I'm sure we'll talk about it. Ben wins. They're yeah, all there. Ben, Logan, ben all that. Yeah. Crew. So they're in front of the shoots. There's two sections, right? They're not. You there said there was second. 35 Bronc riders there. Yeah. They had insane. all the Pollockville's in Bruce the Pretty next much. day. Yeah, Leon Fountain was 88, set the arena record at Bruce. <laughs> uh, ben rode in the in the sheepskin shaft one yeah. in Hardgrass. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure those guys were all having a time. I don't know if it was Jeez. it was carrying on. I think it was. Yeah. But uh, anyways, it was it was probably one of the funnest Bruce Stampedes. Just the whole atmosphere was a ton of fun. Oh, really? Uh, they built us a new shitter uh, behind the announcer stand. Beautiful barnwood outhouse. Yeah. Uh, so I said, it's been 108 years of, of that one outhouse, I think. And yeah, so that was a, that was a big win. Uh, Dalton Massey, number one man in the world was 3.1 arena record. <laughs> like Bruce was happening, man. Really? It was, it was damn What cool. was the payout in Bruce? People win a lot of money there? Well, because there was so many people, I think it was actually pretty good. Really? Like, I think, I, you know, I think to win the Bronco run was probably a couple grand, which Jeez. in years past, we've seen it be like 700 bucks, but, uh, Yeah. Me and Sean had a good time. I announced with Tyson Peach, Brenda Vold, Sharon Olson was there. Was, fourteen hundred uh, bucks. Yeah, for the Bronco riding. Yeah, steer wrestling sixteen hundred. Yeah, tied up roping paid two thousand for dubes. No there. way. Yeah, Dubesy, Mister August. Jed Lambert, he wins eleven hundred bucks. Really? So, pretty damn cool. And our good friend Monty Phillips. Yeah. The show. It's his last Bruce Stampede. Been going there for thirteen years. So we did a little send off to him at the end, which was cool. Really. And, uh, that's fun. Yeah. It was just like, cause we've had some Bruce stampedes where you're coming home late at night and you're thinking, man, that was a long day. Yeah. And it always is, but they banged it off. Uh, I didn't even get a shout out on the, on the, on the music director for hard grass. What? Look at that. We got to make a call. Didn't get it. We got to make a call. What's that about? People got something out on me. wonder if the music director made medicine hat. (laughs) No, did not make the cut. Darn. Well, I mean, hey, like I guess I'm in the same league as the guy that did Medicine Hat, <laughs> so that's fine. I plead the fifth on this one. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I didn't even get a what the hell. 
We're going to make a call here. That's too bad. Let's call the higher-ups. Secretary, Cass and Laycroft. Huh. Okay. Well, even though you weren't on there, Ted, you sure did a good job. We Maybe. tuned into the whole show on Cowboy Maybe. Channel, and uh, it was great. I'm sure you're collecting your check from that via the Cowboy Channel. Hey, speaking of that. <laughs> speaking that of that. That was my segue, Ted. Yeah. So speaking of that, uh, went for my Pinocchio at least. No, didn't make it. No. That's too bad. They did put the janitor. They put all one, two, three, four. They put all five uh, photographers, but I didn't make it. But these are card holders, Ted. Yeah, and I'm not a card holder. It's funny. I probably do almost as many pro rodeos as anybody else. But but I was in Cheyenne, and uh, the music director there, Cheyenne Frontier Days. Yeah, so it's one more thing. So yeah, talk about up, that. Check out my hat here. It's a beauty. Right? The daddy. The daddy of them all. So we went to Cheyenne for the first time. Uh, my friend Austin Lopeman, though, uh, music director in Cheyenne, he was like, hey, man, like you did a great job in Pinocchio or whatever. And I'm like, oh, thanks. My name wasn't on the results, but I'm glad you knew it was me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he's like, yeah, like you guys get paid for the Cowboy Channel stuff too. And I was like, what? I was like, uh, no, what What do you mean? The Cowboy Channel pays the music people, really? That would make a lot of sense because we like are part of the broadcast and we like put out the audio to the broadcast. Like That would make sense if the audio and music person got paid. He's like, no, I don't get I don't get paid. He's like, oh, we get like 300 bucks US like a show. And I'm like, a perf. I'm like, oh, really? Be a nice extra twenty four hundred dollars. So do the announcers. Pinocchio. Yeah. Because we don't get paid enough. Cowboy Channel would struggle to sell subscriptions if they didn't have if any the audio audios the were silent. Yeah. And I believe <laughs> I believe, and I I know there was something with Flint bringing it up. I think the clowns do get paid. Probably should. They definitely should. Yeah, and I, I think Denny Halstead said they, they, they do down there. Um, there was years even like there was some Wrangler Network stuff that if you were announced, oh yeah, you got paid, paid for. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that uh, Cowboy Channel would struggle to sell subscriptions yeah. if it was a mute feed. Yeah. Uh, but the Americans are all getting paid down there. I can confirm that. Yeah. Um, I've done a couple now on the Cowboy Channel. I haven't got my check. Yeah, so we're one. I haven't anyone is. reach out to ask where to mail it to yet. Yeah, me neither. So uh, Patrick so if you Gotch, know. if you're hey, listening. So- I know I'm not on the results, but I was there. We were so, there. Just, and yeah, yeah but it, it's funny you bring that up because um, we should be getting paid. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because those those would be tough to watch if they... And I mean, if hey, they, like, I know this show's coming out after Strathmore, but I'm rec- we're recording this before Strathmore. And hey, if the audio just happens to go out during Strathmore, it might be some sort of a protest. You never know. You never know. <laughs> protest, uh, <laughs> protesting for assault. You never know. I'd... Uh, it would sure be a nice little uh, extra little chunk of change. Well, especially when we're providing them the content. Yeah. Right. And and you know, like, I don't think it's it's obviously not mandated, but you know, me and Dave have worked the last two tour rodeos together on yeah. the Cowboy Channel. Yeah. And you know, we elect to you know welcome the viewers, and we we in fact we talked about this at dinner. We change our styles a little bit. You have to. So that you know, if someone's watching, they're not like this guy's not just yelling into a mic announcing. So screaming at the live rodeo. hours like you would yeah. at a live rodeo you know we don't have we didn't have a clown at either one so we when we had gaps we got very conversational you didn't have so much that music if, at the first or at the second one either no we didn't have any music yeah um so if we didn't talk it was completely silent you could yeah. hear people in the grandstand yeah. talking so yeah. we we tried to make it conversational so if you were watching at home it was like watching a watching when we broadcast the cfr together yeah which is what should be yeah so you know Hopefully they recognize that and maybe uh maybe they'll send us a few shekels. 
Maybe they'll help pay for your uh, next meal at the beef eaters. Yeah, I got a lot of Viking hot dogs to to throw on my credit card, and I got to cover that next month. That's right. That's right. Um. Well, we also had uh Kelowna had a great show in Kelowna, Prospera Place. That was, I guess, like right. It was before we did put out the last show on the twenty sixth. So yeah, like July twentieth. But had a really good show there. Uh, had a bit of a wreck. Uh, William Barrows broke his femur off. That was pretty rough. Uh, that can be a very that can be very well, scary. Yeah, as you as you know from your from your uh, yeah. first responder yeah. days, you get an artery or something. You're uh, you're a big kind of hosed. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it was real bad. So Williams out the rest of the season. Uh, we'll look to see him back next year. But uh, uh, we had a huge break to fill. So Brinson and I had to go and cover like a pretty large chunk of the show and try and keep people going. So we, you know, Brinson and I and Brett. Gardner, obviously, Dave Polson was it in Kelowna as well. He flew right to Brandon the next, or right to Winnipeg the next yeah, day to make day. Morris. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Jake Gardner flew in together. And yeah, we all headed out to Morris. Yeah, yeah. so qu- quite a big gap there, but we got everything, got her filled up. And That's when you see the value around. of what you guys do as music directors. Oh yeah, and and Brinson and too. Brinson as Invaluable. an entertainer. That yeah. is when you earn your money. It didn't even feel like there was a break hardly. Yeah. Just rock and roll the whole way through it. So. Brinson was in Cheyenne too, was he not? Yeah, he was there on Monday. Yeah. yeah so we were, cool. I saw him thir- Thursday in Kelowna. <laughs> and then yeah, like two days later, three days later, Monday in Cheyenne. So that's kind of neat to see him in a couple different places. But uh Matt, uh the intern was in Foremost as well. Gotta have a shout out to uh Jess Cowie and the crew there in Foremost. Lane LaPlante also was there a couple days as well. But uh yeah, Matt finished it up. Thanks to the crew for helping Matt and helping him tear down and get all the gear out. Back in the truck, get them on the road. Do they ah. still do the catch and keep at foremost? I don't know that. I have to ask Matt. We were we should ask we should have called Matt and got him on the show. Yeah, hey Matt. Yeah, ask him if he caught or kept. That, that's where they like would turn out like all the random farm animals at the I end of the so. booth. Yeah, on Sunday night and catch and keep. Like, yeah, cats, <laughs> pretty fun of it. Dogs, I don't know what it was, dogs. but yeah, some yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, uh, High River Chuck Wagons. Two weeks of Chuck Wagons there. Uh, friend Steve Johnson was at the show. Steve. Uh, run the show there with less Jamie Labucane was the winner. Yeah. So good stuff there, but uh, yeah. And then we have another Cooper on the show this week. So thanks to Ross Cooper for joining us. Check out his tunes on the Spotify's and iTunes and all the jazz and uh, back with our interview after this. Thanks for joining us. Once again, this is Cowboy shit. My name is Ted Sovan. He's destiny Edwards. Thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in. This town, it's a changing, but I feel the same. Guess everything's different but me. The old stopping grounds are all stopped out for all the slow rolling tumbleweeds. I guess I look a little broken from my hat to my toes. My belt buckle's fading now. But it was sure shiny back in 89 But now's the best damn hand around So slide on over, mama I'ma tell you something, darling I'm a spit-firing son of the road well, I've been raised on the miles Crazy living, living high And I ain't got much to show But I rode the wild All right, welcome back to episode 149 of Cowboy Ship. My name is Ted Stoven. He is Dustin Edwards, and we are joined this week by a second-generation rodeo cowboy and musician, originally from Lubbock, Texas. Now he's in uh, the hipster part of Nashville. Please welcome Ross Cooper. <laughs> What's up, y'all? 
Well, uh, you're the second Cooper in a row on the show, but uh, probably not related. You probably don't know who Bo Cooper is. You you might know who he is, but you're probably not related to Bo Cooper, as far as we know. Not, no, I'm not. Yeah, our our family's really small. The funny thing when we were rodeoing, um, we uh, uh, the, you know the Coopers, uh, you know Jake and Jim and uh, Tough and Cliff and all of them. I guess they were junior rodeo in the same association. And uh, that was the only kind of run in ever, you know, but yeah, we're, we're on the other end of the pen. And my family's really, <laughs> I remember that like, my, my brother is uh, like Jake and Jim's age. So um, they were, they were like junior rodeoing at the same time, but yeah, we're different family. You know, it turns out Cooper's kind of a common last name, you know, <laughs> uh, when you say last name Cooper and Rodeo, there's there's like a one family that anybody takes up. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into uh, you know, obviously you're here because we're gonna we're gonna talk about your your music career and and some exciting things on the horizon with that. But uh, to start off, let, let's talk about the rodeo career. You know, uh, now a musician, but uh, you're a guy that kind of grew up in rodeo, second generation. Uh, come from a family a uh, a saddle bronc riders. You went rogue and. And went to a bareback rigging, but uh, why don't you kind of tell the listeners a little bit about your rodeo career uh, before uh, the music took yeah. over? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so I, I grew up getting on saddle bronc. Um, I think I got on my first one. I was like 13 and uh, could get by on fine. It could scratch out a couple, you know, and then by the time I got to high school, um, I just wanted to kind of make a, a plate the, um, the all around and I, I didn't rope, you know. Um, I mean, outside of the dummy, like I, I didn't enter any of the rope and, and, um, so I just, I don't know, bareback riding. I liked that. It was kind of all gas, no brakes. And at some point it kind of took over and, uh, my bronc riding, you know, kind of suffered. And when I got to college, I think I was like supposed to, when I was on the rodeo team at South Plains, I was supposed to like be riding broncs and bareback, but. I don't even, I don't think I entered the saddle bronc riding like once when uh when I got to college. So when when we got South been, Plains. Shit money. When were you there? What years? Uh, I was at South Plains. I was at South Plains uh two thousand eight. And uh it was just so close to home, you know. Um uh I went to AM right after that. I I went to South Plains and um I was a music major and rodeoed and I um, you know, Lubbock is 40 minutes, you know, 35, 40 minutes away. And it just felt like you, I was, you know, kind of doing some of the same things that I was doing in high school when I was at South Plains. So I had to get, I had to create a little bit more distance. So, um, I was only there for, yeah. Yeah. Do you you recognize this? (laughs) Oh, you bet. You bet. (laughs) Yeah. I went there in 08. So I was in, I was in the West, uh, the Southwest region, same time. It's funny we probably crossed paths somewhere along the same time. Oh, we probably were at, at the same. There was always—I'm not going to name any names—but there was always a big party at Eastern that Port everybody house, yeah. went. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shit, I broke my collarbone there that one time, uh, but I still partied nice. that night. I didn't figure it out it was broken until the next day. Uh, <laughs> in 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 2008. Uh, I think so. Uh, yeah, because it was yeah, it was 2008. Yeah, yeah the fall of 08. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. 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 I was there. There's yeah. that, uh, it, I can tell you the, I can tell you, um, I have, for whatever reason, I've, you know, I for, probably forgot more rodeos than I remember now, but, um, I remember that one. And, uh, I remember that 
party afterwards and I remember whose house it was at and I remember it uh getting broke up by the the cops and I remember running from the cops and <laughs> I don't Do you remember any of that? I don't I don't recall it. Like, sounds about right. We'll have to we'll have to this after the the podcast so we don't incriminate anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it's long enough ago it's probably fine, right? I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Man, I, I, for, I forget. Uh, who was the bareback rider that was I went to school with? Casey, uh, the hell's his name now? He's from New Mexico. But there's a bunch of our friends that went to uh, school at South Plains at the same time. But there was like, man, that was, those college rodeo days were so much fun. I enjoyed the hell out of that. I went to Vegas yeah. after that. It, the Southwest region was, um, it was definitely, it was a little bit more fun and a little wilder um, than the Southern region for sure. You know, when I got down there, you know, at South Plains, you're, uh, we were part of the um, athletic program. So we were in that, like the athlete dorms and, um, you know, it was, uh, we had access to everything, you know, um, locker room, everything. And then when I got down to A&M, it was a club sport and uh, our rodeo coach there, Dr. Al, um, you know, he was a volunteer. Like it was one of the biggest universities in Texas and, and certainly one of the richest and, the rodeo team didn't get, I mean, anything, you know, um, Dr. Al really had to fight, uh, you know, tooth and nail to, to get anything and did a great job, but it, it's just weird. You know, when you go from these, these schools that are like kind of rodeo schools, you know, and then you go to a university, it's like, yeah, nobody cares. You know, you're not, you're not bringing in what the football <laughs> team's bringing in. <laughs> yeah. Especially not A&M shit. The, uh, yeah. Oh man. I wonder who did, uh, Morgan Grant go to A&M the same time you were there? Would have been Caffro putting Bulldogging at the time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was. He was in He should have been there, right? Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Yeah, yeah. So he he married a girl from, well, he's from Ontario, but he married a girl from, uh, right. from out our way, Jillian. Yeah. Okay. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about Morgan in a long time. There's some, there some uh, Canucks at South Plains, too. Uh, I forget who was there right uh, now, though. I forget who the hell it was. I think maybe Ben Ramey was there at that time. Uh, Eric DeBlanco was a lot of fun. He was at, uh, uh Did. tarleton though doobsy yeah you know doobsy yeah doobsy no yeah yeah um so uh uh jim hunter was there and um he wrote cabs really well he was actually a, a creative arts major too he was a video production major he was one of my best friends there and then um stewie kinley was a good the bull yeah. rider there from manitoba um, yeah from manitoba right, now he's right. in i think now he's coaching at Lubbock, because he got hooked up with the rodeo coach in uh, Hobbs for a while. Uh, Stuart, no, was it, uh, Philip Berry was the horse trainer, like big time, like heavy in the horse yeah. training business. Uh, and then Stuart coached there, but I think now Stuart's coaching at Lubbock. If I don't, if I'm not, no, what? Mistaken. Maybe Man, I haven't. I, I haven't even thought so long. Um, That's hilarious. There was a there was a couple other guys uh, at that point. Um, you know who else oh. is there is Jessica Whaler, who's like big time with Cinch now. She was there at the same time. And then his her uh her brother is Austin Whaler, who also sings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was at Odessa, but I think she was at South right. Plains. Yeah. I don't know if she was at South Plains when I she wasn't at South Plains when I was there. Okay. Man, that's yeah, hilarious. But, but I think me and Austin are the same age. Okay. So well, you're probably thirty four then. I'm thirty three. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's so funny. That year at Odessa, um, Aaron Lod was there, and then we were college roommates in um, at A and M. 
he moved after that uh that 08 year too oh, okay yeah oh, that's hilarious uh, and- blast from the past here i don't remember the running from the cops but it very well could have happened because i was but it's kind of funny that i remember because remember that clearly that i didn't go to the hospital till the next day i was like this still hurts really bad and it's the next day maybe i should get it checked out and it was broken again so- i'm pretty sure that party um was at dear green's house oh should i forget that i forget who that is now too wasn't he a bareback rider too he wrote yeah he wrote good too yeah like didn't he make the finals like the nfr or am i running wrong oh here smith did oh okay still there's that guy was in the southwest region too he went to uh ranger or ranger or charlton one of the two or no that's not even, he went to wt he went to snotter he went to wtc hmm. remember remember a couple guys that snyder that rode really well in the bull riding too there was a Cody, yeah. uh, Cody from Colorado. Whatever the hell his last name was, that guy oh. was real solid. Yeah, Samora, right? Oh gosh, I can... finals. And they had some of those Australians there too at the WTC. Yeah, like, um, maybe like a Brad Pierce or uh, uh, Bronx hmm. good. Yeah, there's a few of them. Yeah. Anyways, I never made the finals. I rode a couple of bowls, but I had a lot of fun. <laughs> met a lot of great people. Yeah. I went because um, I was uh, here. I went when I was at AM because I was uh, I was the director of the Southern Region to the college finals. You mean? Yeah. I I sneaked in the next year because I was a um or a couple years. I was a uh, the Southern Region student director. Oh. Um, so you know they take the director along, um, and I rode a lot of crap. And there's a there's a point where I was riding good and could have made the most of my finals there, but I rode horrible. Um, but made the circuit finals and stuff, you know, and yada yada. I don't know. It's it's ages ago now, which is crazy. I've been here <laughs> eleven years. Um I, I've been in Nashville for coming on eleven years. I moved um August twenty fifth of two thousand twelve. No shit. So right after school. Yeah. Yeah. So what uh so I guess going back to that, you're 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 riding bareback horses. Uh, I'm sure you probably rode in, in the PRCA and stuff down there. What made you decide to uh, take one path over the other? It was never, a, there was never at one point of like a really conscious decision of it, to be completely honest. It was a, um, you know, music was kind of taken off a little bit more. And you know how it goes when you're fighting your head. I was fighting my head bad that uh, senior year of college and, um, you know, it was, kind of developed some bad habits in my bareback ride and never really took the time and in, in the practice pin to straighten them out and was just fought in my head and didn't really, when you're fighting your head, you just, you, the best thing you can do is just go, you know, just get on as much as you can. And it's like a golf swing, you know, you just, you figure it out and keep going. Um, but it takes a lot of reps and, um, and I was fighting my head pretty bad and then graduated school and music was kind of taken over anyway. And I remember I kind of had this decision to make of like where I wanted to live, you know, which is such a privileged uh, decision, you know, is it wasn't a like where do I have to live. It was like, where do I want to go and what do I want to do? Like truly what I want to do. And at that point, um, my brother was living in Austin. I'd had a lot of friends in the Texas music scene, but I'd never really felt uh, I never really felt like I was a part of that. You know, like I would always kind of felt like an outsider and um and because my brother was living in Austin, uh, I was like, I kind of know what Austin feels like. I kind of know what that's about. And at the time, like I was, I've never been like a big commercial country music fan, like a radio country um, fan. And, but I, I kept hearing these like amazing records that were all coming out of East Nashville where I live. 
and uh, there was a handful of them at the time, and they were all like kind of part of this subculture that was happening in, in Nashville. And so I went to go visit me and my mother and this sweet woman, um, you know, took me up there when I was, you know, 21, 22 years old, whatever it was. And, um, I didn't know anybody, you know, and I didn't know where you, you needed to go. And I just, so we went downtown and it was like, not a, it wasn't a fun experience. It was, you know, going down Broadway is just all touristy and, I was like, man, I don't know about this. And of course my sweet mother like tried everything she could to make sure that the trip was awesome, you know? And I remember getting back to Texas and being like, this is, this ain't it. This ain't for me. And then, um, within like a couple of weeks though, um, I started realizing that I did know a couple of people that lived here and that there was this big scene that I just didn't go to the right places. And, um, so I kind of, just kind of bit the bullet, you know, and just kind of went for it. And I said, I'm going to give it a year. And if I don't like it after a year, hell, I'll come back home. I'll, I'll move somewhere else, but I'm not tied to anything. And I have support, my friends and family, like, you know, I'll, I'll give it a year. And then another year went by another year went by. And meanwhile, I'd never planned on like, uh, you know, quitting rodeo on like I was, again, I was fighting my head, but you know, I brought everything. I brought my saddle with me. I brought my rigging bag. I was apprenticing out to a farrier when I was living in Lubbock after graduation. I brought like my farrier box. I brought everything. And um, I figured that I would kind of get my mind back right. And then I would, you know, kind of enter some punk and rollings or whatever, you know, that there'd be, um, there'd be some rodeos up here and there wasn't. And then music really took over. I just bailed in, you know, I cannonballed into this thing and which I think is the best way to do it. You know, for better or worse, you just do it. And um, things work out how they're supposed to, you know, it was also kind of preached in our family. Like if you're going to do one thing, do it whole ass, don't do two things half ass. And um, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that I don't like about living in Nashville, but there's a lot of stuff that I love. And I like that there's a lot of resources here. I met my wife here. Um, so it ended up, you know, it ended up being good and um, it's different for sure. But, there's a reason why I've been here 11 years and I didn't move after that first one. Well, I, I found it quite interesting because I know, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a big music fan. I listen to a lot of music and, and I know that that kind of that Texas country music scene is, is, is a lot bigger than probably a lot of people realize. And I listen to a lot of guys from that Texas music scene. And, and it was funny for me to hear a guy from Lubbock say that he wanted to get out of that when I feel that I, you know, probably there's a lot of people that stay involved in that. So when you were talking about some of the records you'd listen to and, and the people that were around that area, you know, obviously you, you must've had some of that as an inspiration, but what, who did you listen to when you were there and, and what part about that scene made you want to leave? Cause I, I, in my head, I'm thinking, well, a guy from Lubbock surely would stay in the area and just roll with what's happening in that, in that scene. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair point, you know, um, what I will say is now I feel like the umbrella for Texas music is much larger than it was then. Um, it was more of a kind of a sound, you know, back then, uh, when I was kind of growing up and cutting teeth, uh, the guys that were really big outside of like Wade Bowen and Randy Rogers, you know, it was like Casey Donahue and uh, Roger Krager and kind of this like dance hall sound and country, you know? And, um, and that's great. And there's, there's man, like, obviously like those guys, have kicked ass for so long. And then kind of that next wave was uh, like William Clark green and um, some, some dear friends of mine. But at, at that time, 
a lot of it probably just came down to I didn't truly know um, who I was musically, you know. Um, but growing up in Lubbock, like my brother showed me, you know, Texas country. We're five years apart. He's five years older. You know, he started going to some of those concerts in high school. So when I was in middle school, you know, I remember like listening to like the Pat Green Dance Hall Dreamer record. You know, and like some of those first like Texas music records for me were that it was like Pat Green and Corey Morrow. And, you know, I probably heard that before I heard like Robert O'Keefe, you know, um, and Lubbock being such a hotbed, you know, the Mains brothers are from Lubbock, obviously, and Terry Allen and uh, Joey Lee, the Flatlanders. Like there's 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 so, it's got such a kind of a prowess over musical history in West Texas for sure. But, um, you know. I was listening to like at that point um, I'd found out who like uh, whiskey town was and Ryan Adams. And um, I'd also like, you know, the strokes were really big. So I was listening to the strokes and then I found like these surf rock records and I was um, thrift store Cowboys was this huge band in Lubbock at the, or around Lubbock at the time, but they're like the first kind of national act that was from Lubbock. That wasn't Texas country. That was like, this kind of indie country, alt country thing that would have been more in line with like, uh, like Wilco or Whiskey Town or Calexico or any of these bands that kind of, to me, sounded like a southwestern like soundscape. And I felt like I always gravitated more towards that. And it wasn't this huge just kind of denial of Texas country. It was that I looked at, even though I was like listening to the Pat Green records um or you know the the way and randy records or whatever it was even though I, in like cross canadian ragweed i like loved those records as a kid growing up but i never felt like that was me like i enjoyed them but when i started writing songs i never felt like that i was like that in that same kind of subgenre so that makes that makes sense you know like I, you didn't have a best friend named junior that lived two trailers down no no i didn't <laughs> I well, I, I, I think that's pretty cool because I, I could see a lot of guys, you know, you, you, you get into songwriting, you pick up a guitar, you know, a lot of people would just become a product of the environment you're in probably. Right. And you're going to, you're going to adapt or probably, or some people would probably go the route of writing music and singing music to fit that scene to fit in. And you elected obviously to, to, to go to where you felt truest. Is that, is that kind of a good well, way to sum it up a bit? Yeah. But, but I don't know if that would ever, like, I don't think it was that conscious, you know, and I've always kind of, uh, I don't think I've ever taken an easy route a day in my life. Um, and not saying that if I would have like stayed in Texas and immersed myself in the Texas country, I don't think that would have been an easy route at all. Um, but you know, I just, I kept kind of turning stones over, you know, I I've always kind of been, it's almost felt like musically I've always kind of been, a searcher or whatever, you know, for, for different stories. And, um, and I've, I've always just kind of wanted to see, you know, kind of, you know, what's, what's past the horizon. And it's funny because like all those guys are my friends, you know, like all the, the Texas country crowd, like, man, it's gonna, we, and we play in Texas all the time. Like I've always, my, my biggest like songwriting credits are in Texas. Like I've always straddled that line. I'm so proud to be, from Texas and so proud to be, you know, from Lubbock specifically, like some of my music, my, my bit, my biggest music influences period are, um, you know, like the Flatlanders and Joe Ely, like music from Lubbock, Texas. Um, but I just, I wanted to see 
you know, kind of for better or worse, you know, how big I could try to make this thing, you know, like, and Nashville, you know, at, at this moment kind of has more resources than New York, LA, Austin, all of it, you know, for anything that's kind of country centric, it's all here. And you don't have to be riding, you know, radio country or commercial country radio. There's a diff, you know, there's a million different ways to skin a cat in this town. I think um, the, the best thing you can do is realize kind of what the resources are um, what makes sense for you, um, you know, identify what your goals are and then figure out what resources can help you get to those goals. <laughs> so what are some of those goals for you? And what are you, you know, what are you making? What are you spending most of your time on? We looked at, I looked at your tour dates and you got, you got a bunch of stuff lined up in the fall and whatnot, but like, what, what are you working on day to day? What does a regular day look like? How's it, how's it, yeah. how'd you find your niche yeah. out there? So, you know, for me, you know, there's a lot of like trying to, you know, develop the elevator pitch of, of how you see yourself as an artist. Cause sometimes that's not like what other people see as. And um, if there's a disconnect, you either have to be okay with it or you have to figure out how to make that meet. Um, you know, for me, I'm, uh, I'm a lyric driven songwriter with more emphasis on the lyric and sometimes, you know, for worse, less emphasis on um, the melody. Like I, 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 I love guys like, you know, Guy Clark. Um, of course, you know, I love Jason Isbell's songs and um, American Aquarium, uh, with Clark Green. I, I, the guys that are that are really great at, at crafting stories and, and songs and always going back to Guy Clark. The, the, you know, for me, it starts with the, the story of the song, right? Um, but as far as what I'm working on, you know, like, putting out a new record September 29th. Um, it's been kind of a long labor of love. I started writing songs for it during COVID and it was supposed to be an acoustic album, you know, and then those songs kind of like, I realized it could be bigger than a, an acoustic album. I wanted to just make a record at my house and pump it out. And it felt like that it, um, a lot of these acoustic albums, you know, were coming out and um, then over time, like what I thought my, that album was going to be completely changed into something different. Honestly, some of those first songs that I thought that I would put on this, you know, acoustic album didn't even make it, you know, and there's, we're about to put out a, you know, 13 song long album in, in the fall. And it's, it's completely different from, um, you know, how it started. But as far as the goals go, you know, the, the question on, um, it's kind of a career question, but it gets thrown around a lot here is, you know, if you had the choice, um, whether you would play like the Ryman um, for three nights in a, in a row or play, you know, Bridgestone Arena for one night, what would you choose? And for me, it's always been the Ryman. It's always been like if I could play the Ryman, sell it out three nights in a row, you know, e even though Bridgestone sits having many freaking people, you know, um, that to me is more indicative of like how I – want my career to be you know the Ryman is first of all it's the best sounding place in the country um it's got so much history but it's it's not huge you know like it, it's a good size room but it's not it's not it's not Bridgestone um you know but if you can sell that out three nights in a row that tells you everything that that you need to know about the type of um fan base that you've kind of fostered you know I want to grow the fan base of people that are 
going to buy every piece of vinyl that you put out, you know, and the same people that are going to go to the shows five years from now, um, you know, versus the shows that you're playing now and the people that are going to follow that career and it not be just a flash and pan. Um, but also like, I'd be lying, you know, if, if I said I didn't want as a songwriter, a number one song, like I want that. I want, you know, I want a songwriting credit on a number one song in country radio, but I want it to be something that I'm really proud of. You know, um, every few years you get these, uh, you know, anomalies of these huge, beautiful, like just incredible songs that get cut by, you know, um, uh, major label country artists. And everybody's like, where the hell did that song come from? Whether it be a Lori McKenna cut or, or whatever. And it's like, well, these songs have been here the whole time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's like every now and then every, again, every few years, um, somebody cuts like a hard hitting songwriter song and it goes number one. And, um, you know, so if I, I just figure if I'm here, why not dream as big as you can? Like, your dreams shouldn't die when you get older. They should get bigger, you know, because hopefully you figure out the resources that you need to get, you know, to achieve them. But yeah, I want it all, man. I want my cake and I want to eat it too. I want to be able to support a family with music. I want to play the ramen. I want to play the Grand Ole Opry. And I want a number one song in country radio that I wrote. Like if I hit one of those, man, I'm doing <laughs> you know? Well, I, I, I imagine it's not a matter of if, but when for you, you know, especially having listened to your music, you know, let's talk about, you know, people see the, you know, people up on stage playing tunes. You've, you've alluded to the fact a bunch here about songwriting, uh, you know, talk about the process of being a songwriter at that level in, in a Nashville scene, because being an entertainer and being a songwriter are kind of two different worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that they first ask you when you, um, you know, come in for meetings in Nashville when you first moved here or, uh, or when you first moved here is, um, you know, are you an artist or a songwriter and hell where I'm from is like, you're, that's, it's one and the same, you know, an artist is somebody who, who creates art. And what that question really means is, you know, do you want to go more like the artist route where you're on the road playing songs, you know, and um, put out records or do you want to be a career songwriter where you're writing four or five, days a week and um if not more and you're pitching song uh, pitching songs to get cut um again i've uh i want to have my cake and i want to eat it too so i've i've always dodged that answer you know i've um it's equal parts it's always started with the song for me and that process is usually um you know usually it's an idea or it's something that i've heard somebody say or it's something you know and it's an idea that got sparked out of something that i read or but for me, it always starts with a story um, or a line. Um, rarely for me does it start with a melody. For a lot of people, it starts with a melody. And I think with a lot of the the big, um, you know, pop and pop country writers, it probably starts with a melody more. Um, and those people that can do that, man, it is a talent, like, to be able to hear these big melodies. You know, that's what your ear goes to when you listen to the radio. The reason why these songs are so big is rarely because of the lyric it's because of the melody. Um, but also it's like you play to your strengths. I try to strengthen that. I try to, you know, bring good melodies to the table, but for me, it's always started with what I want to say. Um, because, you know, to me, whether it's right or wrong, um, if you don't have anything to say, you don't have a song. Um, 
and I have a lot of songs that don't say shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, but I do believe that though, you know, and, um, I, I, I wish I could write about any subject and I just can't, if I, if I don't believe in the story, if I don't believe in the idea, it's really hard for me to get behind, you know, um, You've obviously used your uh, rodeo life and growing up, uh, growing up a cowboy as as part of that inspiration. You know, when you look at obviously the titles, I, I we I just listened to uh, everybody wants to be a cowboy and and uh, rode wild horses. Uh, I'm assuming uh, I'm assuming that you know you're obviously drawing a lot of inspiration from from the life life you lived uh, prior to the the music career. Yeah, you know, it's not dissimilar, though, from the music career. It's the same type of living. You know, it's it's long and late nights and it's no at this level. You know, it's not a real guarantee of of good pay all the time. And um, it's a hard lifestyle and it's, um, you know, but it, it takes the same for me, the same type of grit and the, and the, the um, same kind of, I guess, fortitude to to be good at, at either one of them. Um, but it took me a long time to uh, write a rodeo song. I think I rode the wild horses. I, I think that was my first rodeo song that I wrote. Um, but, you know, at the, I was listening to when I was making that record and before I was listening to a lot of like Tom Waits and stuff. Again, I've always kind of listened to stuff that was out a little in left field, you know, kind of outside the bigger spectrum, like stuff that was always on the fringe. And for some reason, man, you know, I was, I, it might've been that I was so close to, to both rodeo and music that I didn't know how to merge those worlds in a way that I could put my riding voice behind it. You know, of course, like I've listened to damn near every Chris Ledoux rodeo song that there was like, we, we grew up on gold buckle dreams. Like everybody listened to that record, yeah. but I knew that I couldn't write like do type of song because that wouldn't, it just, it, it didn't feel authentic. And um, it took a little while for me to, to figure out what that meant for me, like how I could write a rodeo song, but it be from my perspective um, and it feel authentic in something that I still, and it'd be something that I, I thought was really cool too, you know, it for it to be something that I would, I would personally want to listen to. Um, but yeah, man, I wrote a lot. I mean, I wrote a ton of songs for a lot of years before I ever wrote a rodeo song. And then I felt like I kind of finally, um, or a cowboy song. And I, I felt like I finally kind of unlocked it and figured out how to do that. Um, for me, you know, and obviously in, in Nashville, you're surrounded by a lot of songwriters and a lot of people that, that are doing what you're doing is, uh, is collaborating on the songwriting. Is that, is that a big part of uh, your process as well? Or do you, do you write with a lot of, a lot of different people or kind of explain that process? Yeah, I do. Um, so when I first moved to Nashville, I didn't like co-writing was so foreign to me. Um, and then I dove in it. I started co-writing and, uh, you know, I, a lot of people are, are like ardently against co-writing and, and I understand the reasons why. Um, but for me, it was this whole like it was a boot camp, you know. Some of those those years and early years in Nashville, it was like holy shit, these guys, you know. Regardless of how you feel about what's on the radio at any point, uh, there's some of the best riders in the world that are here, you know. Like 
I mean, just guys that I was like, shit, I'm not a songwriter. These guys are songwriters. Oh my God, what am I doing? Like these guys are the real deal. And so it's like, you can either run away from that or, or you can let it make you better. And I tried to make it, you know, I tried to let it make me better, you know, uh, learn like listening more and talking less and, and figuring out the different tools that those guys had on their tool belt that you could kind of borrow and put on yours or, or figure out, you know, how people are creating these, these lines and how they're saying, you know, something so big with so few words. And um, so I used that as, as an opportunity to get better. And I still co-write a good, good bit. Um, I do like having a perspective that's different from my own. For me, I think the songs that I like the most um, are usually the songs that I wrote uh, or that I write by myself. Um, that's not always the case, but the ones that I write by myself, I think that I'm the most proud of them because they're uniquely mine and they come from a perspective that nobody else has. Um, but, you know, some, there's some of my favorite songs that I've that I've written, too. I couldn't have written them without the other person in the room. You know, if I would have written it by myself, it would have been a completely different song. Um, so my goal in in the room, whether I'm writing by myself or writing with someone else, is always, regardless of the genre, regardless of the style, it's always what can be the best song in the room. Um, and, uh, you know, I've I've ended up with, I've ended up with like a lot of shit, <laughs> a lot of like not good songs. But you have to write so many bad ones to get ones you're proud of. And um, to me, there's there's never a wasted song. Never. Um, I've written some horrible songs, but I'm proud that I've written them because it got me to the next song. Does that make sense? 100%. Sounds kind of like yeah. rodeo. And sometimes you just, yeah, it works and doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so going back on the, on the artist side, is it, is it uh, better on the like live show side for you right now, as far as, as far as like making a living at it or is it the writing side? Like, is it day to day going, going and writing or is it, you know, I, I've heard things about Spotify isn't worth a shit for getting paid and iTunes. People don't hardly buy any songs from iTunes anymore. Like I know, I know I do for working events and whatnot, but everybody's on the subscription side of things. Like I just kind of curious that way. Yeah. So to make any money on the music side, you know, it's, it's about merchandise. Like it's going to playing shows and selling t-shirts and caps like that's it. You know, um, the music side doesn't pay. It just doesn't, um, you know, but if we can go sell a couple thousand dollars worth of merch, um, and then I don't know, I, I still think even though everything has changed so much, you're still building fans out there, you know, like a, if I see some cool merch from a cool band, like I, I don't really wear band merch much anymore. Um, but man, if I, I know what it's like, man, I'll, I'll buy vinyl, I'll buy t-shirts, I'll buy caps, whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the music, the tangible music doesn't pay like the CDs. It sucks. Nobody buys them, you know, and Spotify, et cetera, doesn't pay. Um, you know, the playlists and the big numbers, it's great for optics. Um, it's even better if you can put people in a room, you know, but um, where you see that, where you see the money from it is at the merch table. But, you know, even though everything's kind of convoluted with the way songwriters get paid nowadays, it really, when you break, when you kind of brush all that away, 
at the basis of it, like, you know, you make money at the merch table because you're meeting the person buying it. You know, it, it all, it all starts with, with the person. Like, um, you know, I, I love meeting people like, um, and it's not like I'm a, I'm a huge artist or anything, but at, at any show, big or small, I always go, always go to the merch table. Always. I want to make myself accessible. Like if somebody's going to take time out of their day to buy something that, that I've made, then I'm damn sure going to take time out of my day to, to like go meet them and shake their hand. And, you know, like I'm around musicians every single day of the week. Like when I meet people out there, I want to know about them, you know, like I want to figure out like, why is a plumber from Iowa? Why did, why does he like my music? You know what I mean? Like, and what is his life? Like, no, that's the interesting stuff though. To me, I don't know. I just, um, it all kind of starts with those relationships and, um, yeah, it's uh, but it so that that answers the you know where does the money come from? It 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 starts it it's with merch, but you know it starts with the person. But um, on to answer the other question about you know uh, songwriting versus playing, like um, I feel like I'm kind of at my best when I'm spread thin. Um, I like to always be writing and um, you know, being you know I I, I like to be playing as much as I can. Um, we have dates, you know, some good dates coming up on the calendar, but, um, you know, I always want more, I always want more dates, more of it all. Um, because there's so many, um, kind of unanswered questions in, you know, in, in a music career, uh, you know, there's, there's so many, what ifs, I think personally, I feel like I'm doing my part more if I'm working as hard as, I can with what I feel like I'm, you know, I can bring to the table. So if it's songwriting and playing, like I want to be doing those as much as I can. And, um, you know, that I wish the calendar was four times, five times, you know, longer than it was right now, but it's not, and it will be at some point. And then I, when it's to that point, I'll be bitching about, <laughs> you know, not being <laughs> home, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I like, I like to feel like I'm working and sometimes even when I'm working that either the admin side or, or whatever it is, like uh, if it doesn't, if it's not directly, if it's not like writing songs or playing music, even though it is like a huge part of the career, um, sometimes it feels like I'm not doing anything, you know, even when it's not true. It's like, you know, you're if you're answering emails for three hours and then, you know, calling advancing shows and figuring out an itinerary and figuring out budget and all this, this bullshit that nobody wants to do for some reason in our lizard brains, we don't think about like that being work. And that's the biggest work of it. The, the playing the music's not the work. That's the easy part. You know, that's the part that like we get to do. That's the part that like, they don't pay you for that shit. They pay you for driving hours in a van <laughs> and, you know, hand trying to figure out how to pay a band and like how to try, you know, trying to figure out like where to book a hotel room that's not going to get you stabbed. Like that's, <laughs> that's what the money, the music part, that's the easy part. That's the fun part. You know, it's like being a carny yeah. or, or no, it's, exactly. know, it's like rodeoing. <laughs> yeah. It's like doing what we're doing right yeah. now. Yeah. Rodeoing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you talked about the songwriting and the music and everything, but what if you write a number one song, for like George Strait, are you making money then? Is there money in that yeah. side of it? 
yeah. okay yeah yeah you know um the crazy thing is it's not as much as it used to be you know um a song that would have paid you a few million you know 20 years ago pays you a few hundred thousand now um that's how much streaming has really i mean it, it's it's really um you know kind of crippled the um it, it's crippled songwriters for sure you know um you could you could make a huge living off of a one number one song um and now it's not like that but it's changed the game um you know change it and you know, I don't know. I know it sounds like a fortune cookie, but it, it change can't be good or bad. It's just change. You know, how you adapt to it, I think is, is the most telling. Cause I can't do shit about it. And at the end of the day, I don't have a number one song, so it doesn't matter. You know, I'm not making a million dollars and I'm not making a few hundred thousand dollars. So I don't have those problems, but um, yeah, it, it takes more than it used to for sure. You know, um, but I don't know. Like, uh, I'll always write songs. Um, and, and, you know, I think at a, at a certain, well, I know at a certain level on the artist side that, you know, when you hit and you're just going and going and going and like, they're making some big money off those live shows, big money. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess it could be a good excuse for me being poor, but my goal was never to like be a rich and famous songwriter. And maybe it should have been, but my goal um, when I moved to Nashville and like was became old enough to like, you know, have a fully formed frontal lobe where I can understand, you know, that, that goals like, uh, you know, like where I could, like what a goal meant as a songwriter um, to me. And I, I know it sounds cheesy. I know, but to me it was, it, it wasn't to, to write a number one song. It was to write. It is to write a number one song that I'm so proud of, you know, like I want to be the best songwriter that I can be. And then the rest is byproduct. You know, the rest is of consequence of, of what, of hopefully what that skill set is. If I'm, if it, it, if it takes me, you know, until I'm 50 or 60 to, to write that type of song, that caliber song, because I don't have the skill set yet. And so be it. But when I look at, again, I, I go back and reference Guy Clark, you know, to me, some of my favorite Guy Clark songs were songs that were written later in his career. Um, because you learn those skills and you hone them um, and you have the life experience to be able to, to, to write that caliber. You know, it's like, you hear all the time, you know, you look up like old, like Paul McCartney interviews and stuff and, um, and all these famous songwriter uh, interviews. And you always hear like, Oh, that song took 15 minutes to write. I fell into my lap. Saying, yeah, maybe, but you're kind of just transcribing the life experience that you've had for all those years you know, before. And I do think that there is something to kind of pulling something out of the ether and being like, you know, kind of ready when that inspiration strikes. Um, and it, there is something that that's pretty amazing when that happens, when you just like write it down and it's just like this complete thought and it gets out on the paper, but it takes a lot of living to get to that point too, you know? 
that reminds me of uh one of my favorite shows from a while back, uh, Californication. Do you remember the David Duchovny show where he's the the writer yeah. out in L.A. And one of my favorite quotes because I, I wrote yeah. for a while, and that's how we got connected. Actually, so short story, but uh, Susan Canode, um, she does the PR and does a lot of writing and a lot of PR at a lot of events. College national finals is where uh, Ross met her. I met her at the NFR in Vegas, and I just saw her the other day in Cheyenne. We were down at Cheyenne for the first time, and got connected. And and then she's like, "Oh, you got to hear this song." So she shows me Ross's song. She's like, "You need to have him on the show." I was like, "Okay, well, yeah." get us hooked up let's do it so here we are <laughs> like like a week actually a week to the day like a week ago <laughs> we got talking yeah. and he's like yeah let's you know let's get it on monday but that one quote from uh from californication was uh decovny like i forget what his name was in the show but he's like no nah, you don't want to be a writer kid it's like having home homework every day for the rest of your life and that kind of makes me think of <laughs> what you're just saying where you're always writing like if you're a writer you're always writing you're never not writing and it's like no, fuck, I got to write this and I got to be thinking about it. And like, there's no end to it. It's just constant yeah. turning in, yeah. in the mind. Yeah. The guitar, um, the guitar kind of, it, you know, there, there'll be days that'll go by without, with me not touching a guitar. Um, sometimes like a week or two. Well, not, a, not two, but there'll be chunks of time that, that go by, you know, several days that I don't touch a guitar, but, um, and I think these days I try to turn off more. I try to, you know, not write, but it's, it's, it's pretty futile. Like I'm always writing something, you know, even when I don't think I am, I am because I'm writing on like uh, the notes on my phone ideas, you know, to save for later. And it's just, it's always going. And I'm thankful for that. I like, seriously, it's, I've joked with my wife and I've joked with friends before of like, I don't know if it's the thing that's like keeping me alive or killing me, you know, <laughs> but it's the thing that's, uh, that it's the constant that I've been obsessive about, you know, who is the, who's the coolest artist you've ever got to work with or write with at this point in your career or do a show with. Oh God. Um, and that's probably subjective on what's cool, but I mean, I guess who's, who's been the person to you that's been like, man, I can't believe I got to write or perform with, with someone, mm -hmm. or someone like that. There's been a few of them. Um, I, I forget who this original quote started with. I think that it was uh, Ray Wally Hubbard, but uh, the interviewer asked him who, what he was listening to. And he said, well, I'll listen to my friends. I thought that was such a, like a, first of all, it's so true, but such a, a nice sentiment. And that's, that's true. You know, I, um, I, uh, I usually am listening to my friends more than anything else. Um, but, uh, so here lately, uh, Ben Danaher, uh, William Clark Green, Colin Nash, Tyler Halverson. Um, but as far as like shows and whatnot, there's been a couple of kind of like, like really cool moments, um, you know, last year, I think it was last year, year before last, uh, we did some shows with Clint Black and, um, it was just one of those moments. I was like, Sh dude, I grew up listening to Clint Black. Like yeah. this is crazy. Um, but being able to have that moment, cause we were kind of in like go mode too. You know, we were playing, playing, playing. And, um, I remember having to take kind of a beat and being like, Hey, like enjoy this because you never thought that, 
you know, you always wish you could be here. You know, you wish you, you always w wish that it, you know, if it's, if it's, it could always be better in our mind. And that's so unfair because that, that makes you not celebrate the cool moments when they come. Um, so I've tried to get better about doing that. And the Clint Black shows were awesome. Um, we, we did a, a few of them or a couple of three or three or four of them anyway. But the first one we did, we were in, um, Ardmore, Oklahoma, and, um, it was packed. Uh, it's like an old kind of old school pavilion. And like on the front row, uh, like Randy Travis was sitting there. I was like, what, what is like, what is life right now? You know, like this is cool. Yeah. Um, cool. yeah. And then last, uh, spring, not spring, sorry. Last fall, um, completely opposite. Um, I got to go to uh, Scandinavia with a good buddy of mine, um, an artist named Sam Outlaw. He's from California originally. Um, really cool. Um, uh, really, really cool. Like laid back LA country, like really hip. Um, just uh, phenomenal music. But he has a really big following in Sweden and Norway and um, the Netherlands and so uh he invited me to to go there and we played like i remember we played stockholm and we played this this room um that like charlie parker had played in you know the early 1900s and like then the red hot chili peppers had played like tupac had played and, like um and it was packed and over there the um, they show up early for openers like they, it's this big reverent thing they they show up early you know, if the show starts at six and there's two openers, damn it, they're going to be there at six. You know, here it's like we all do it. It's like, okay, so-and-so's direct support. You know, the door's at nine. That means music's probably at 10. The headliner goes on 11. We'll be fine if we get there by 1045. Like yeah. that's so like, and that's not, you know, it's not really, it's not always fair for the opener. But we got over there and it was 12 days or 12 shows in 16 days. And damn near every single one of them was like phenomenal. And um, there was a couple of these rooms. There was like this old theater that we played in Sweden um, that I guess was probably built for like the opera. It was real, uh, real shallow, you know, like it was probably only 30 yards to the back of the room, but it was real tall. So sound just, you know, hits it and then goes straight up. And, uh, it was like, you know, over a hundred years old and like just beautiful. And there was a couple of those moments where, um, it was, uh, I was more kind of struck by the moment, you know what I mean? Like, and being so thankful that I got to be on that tour with somebody who I respected so much. Um, as far as being starstruck, um, I haven't had a lot of those moments. Um, I've always wanted to, see them as like an equal, like I'd like psych myself <laughs> out, you know, be like, cause like, I remember when I first moved to town, I was like valuing cars and shit. I was doing stuff that, you know, that just sucked. I had like a, you know, you had these moments where like you're, you know, a college graduate from a pretty decent university with, with a piece of paper hanging on your wall. And then like, you're just doing it, anything you can to just, to just do it, you know? And I remember like meeting like Vince Gill, you know, and like some of these guys and, and, uh, in, it not being so much like, oh my God, it's Vince Gill. It being more like, 
okay, how do I figure it? Like, how do I play with these guys? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. It's probably completely delusional, but that's, that's, I, I think I've been to, to answer the question without answering the question at all. I think I've kind of been more stricken by the moments, you know, and um, like one of my good friends, uh, you know, uh, William Clark Green, Texas singer, you know, I've referenced him a lot in my career because my, all my biggest songwriting cuts have been with him. And, um, you know, he's up, we've just always been buds. So when I go back and to Texas and see how these songs work, it's like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe, like, this is huge. Like, you know, I think the guy's a star, um, but he's also one of my, my best buddies. So I don't really, I don't seem like that. Um, I don't know. It's just, I know I'm just kind of rambling, but uh, <laughs> well, it makes, yeah, it makes sense, right? It's you want to be at the same level as those guys, and and yeah. and in fact, in so many ways, you really are. You you write songs, you perform, um, park the cars. <laughs> yeah, but not a long I think, time. But I love I love the Clint Black stuff. Clint Black. I mean, growing up, Clint Black. I remember going to one of his shows. I'm pretty sure it was Clint Black. That guy played drums, piano, yes. harp. Like he played every instrument on the stage that night at some point. Dude. Okay. So we, um, he asked me when we got there, um, he asked me if I had a backdrop and I was like, no, I just said we have a cloth backdrop, but it's too small for the stage. And I, like, it was, you know, it's a huge stage and they have a digital backdrop. And he's like, no, that won't do. He's like, if you don't look good, I don't look good. And he is so in tune with everything that he does that he, uh, like he gets on the mic and he's talking for his, uh, he's talking to his video guy and he's like, you know, so-and-so, Hey, pull up that, that backdrop, that digital backdrop that we had, um, like last May when we did that one show, it, you know, he's just so like perfectly into, he know he remembers everything. He's just, he's so like on it and he was like we use this one backdrop um it had to have been last may we used it for a couple of weeks it looks like a window pane with the moon behind it and it's a, it's you know it's nighttime it's like pu pull up that one that could be their backdrop and like the guy pulls it up and it's like spot on for what he said he's just he's so on top of everything and I think probably the, the best way to describe um, a guy like that is, you know, you see a lot of, um, you know, the acts that are referred to as like a uh, heritage acts, you know, like the older 90s, 80s, 90s country guys that are torn again. Some of, the, some of them are doing it because they have to. And then some of them are doing it because it's a victory lap. You know what I mean? They were like, they have great careers. They were super smart with their money. They're so talented. Like, Dude, Clint Black's one of those guys. He could put out a new record tomorrow and it'd be badass. Like yeah. he's he is he's so like hospitable, kind, um very in tune with every facet of his um of of, of his show. Um it was one of the most impressive it, it was one of the most impressive operations, not from a standpoint of everything's running so smooth, but from a standpoint of this dude has his 
hand in every single part of it. And that's why it's, that's why it's running so smooth is because he knows exactly what's going on with the lights when he's singing the second verse of whatever song, you know what I mean? Like he just, it, that, that shit to me is cool. You know, you want to be like the, the master of your creative destiny, man. Like that dude's doing it. Like it's, it was just cool. <laughs> it's cool that, that like, you know, you can say, and I, and I, I hate to use anything that, that would say, you know, that, that his heyday was back when we were growing up. Cause like every show was packed. We played amphitheaters with the dude and it was packed, you know? But when you think of like when Clint Black, uh, you know, really popped off and, um, there's a reason why, you know, I think in any business, why certain people are successful and, um, it, that was a, he's a, that dude is a great example. Like he's just, he's a businessman, but he's so creative and it just, it was a tight ship and it was, man, it was really cool. How surprised were you to see him on the masked singer? Oh, I have the masked singer. I don't, I've seen, I know what that show is, but I don't know what that show is at all. <laughs> oh, really? He was, yeah, he was on the masked singer. One of the, one of the people in the mascot costumes. I thought it was hilarious. It was awesome. Did that, did, that seems like something. So, who are the, like, who are the guessers on that show? Oh, like, uh, oh, Ken Jeong, the guy from uh, oh, the Hangover, the Hangover, yeah. yeah, he and then like one of the like probably a Kardashian and then like an old Backstreet Boys girlfriend, like. But Leanne Rhymes so, won it one time too. It was it was kind of an interesting really? show. They also have like Larry the Cable Guy and, and Rob Gronkowski singing too. So sometimes they, it gets a little bad on the singing side. But then they have the real artists yeah. that like do pretty awesome. Wayne Brady won it one year too, and he was like Wayne pretty Bra awesome. Wayne Brady can sing his ass off though. Yeah, he was <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was impressive. Yeah, but so here's the thing. You have Clint Black on the masked singer and you know, you show you know, you 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 host that show in you know, Odessa, Texas. They're going to guess right away, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, if it, if it was hosted at Dos Amigos, we would everybody yeah. would know instantly. <laughs> you know, it's, exactly. it's funny you talk about guys taking a victory lap. A few years ago, I went to a concert and it was David Lee Murphy. And mm -hmm. of course, Peepy Creek Stampede. Yeah. And it's like, he shows up, he's in like all denim. And I'm like, man, this guy's got to be like, just out here trying to get his last few bucks. I knew no. dust on the bottle. I knew party crowd. And then he gets on the mic and he says, I'm going to play a set of songs that I've written, you know, that have been successful. And I'm thinking, okay, this should be interesting. That guy played about 15 songs that were probably all number one hits that he's probably just rolling in the cash from. And I couldn't, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool when that happens, man. It, it, uh, oh man. Uh, I had to, it's been years ago, but so the band Exile, um, it was having like their 50th anniversary show, and I had to open for them acoustic. And, uh, first of all, First of all, first of all, first of first of XL, first of all, uh, the band is no joke. I mean, in I, um, oh gosh, I, you know the only song that I knew before, well, 
one of the one of the only songs that I knew before that show was like the you know the the song from like Happy Gilmore. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, that he's singing into the intercom when his when his I girlfriend kiss you all over all over and again. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, that was like one of the few Exile songs that I knew before, and then um, so I'm like, I do my homework before I play, and I'm like, oh my god, like what am I? This is a huge room. This is our 50th anniversary, and I'm opening an acoustic. Like this is gonna go over so shittily, you know, because <laughs> it's not gonna work. <laughs> and it went over fine, and those guys were super nice. But I watched their set, um, and they played. A, uh, they played a lot of songs that the bass player had written, and it was the same thing. It was like just hit after hit after hit after hit after hit, and um, you know, just kind of goes back to that that whole thing we were talking about earlier. You know, the guys that have longevity at any you know in in any business, like there's a reason for it. You know, it's not because they got lucky; it's because they had the skill set and they worked their ass off. So, I just I think it's cool. Um, you know, and I'm reminded of that a lot living in Nashville. That's one of the good things about it is, you know, you might go to, a, you know, a songwriter showcase or writer's round or whatever, um, especially, you know, some of the old heads. You just hear huge song after huge song after huge song. Um, oh, this is kind of an this is kind of a roundabout way answer um, to the starstruck question. So years ago. um I was, me and my wife were, uh, we were at the Bluebird Cafe, which is a big famous place. They're not big at all, very small, but famous place in Nashville um, that's uh, known for their, their songwriter rounds. And so my father-in-law, uh, his name's Joe Leathers. He's a phenomenal songwriter. Um, it was a round that, uh, that he was in and it was him, um, a, uh, um, songwriter named uh, Steve Bogart, um, songwriter named Kyle Jacobs, and um, oh, I'm trying to remember who else was in that round, but it was just hit after hit after hit after hit. And kind of what people do at Bluebird sometimes is when you, it gets around to like the last couple of rounds, like the writers in the round will um, will invite someone to you know play and sing a song, and uh so joe um invited me to come you know to play a song in the round and um then a, a friend of, of joe's also got up named ken johnson um anyway the last round of songs i had to, i was the last one to play in the round um you know because of me i got invited up and so did ken and the last songs that were played in the round were um, I Get Carried Away, that Steve Bogard played, that that George Strait cut. Um, Joe played uh, either Hemingway's Whiskey, uh, that Guy Clark, that he wrote with Guy Clark, that was a platinum single for uh, Kenny Chesney, or he played uh, Tough for Craig Morgan, which is also a huge song. Then Ken played, oh God, I forget, um, I forget the name, but it's, it's, I can hear it, but I, uh, Harry Connick Jr., you know, cut, you know, um, and, uh, oh, and then uh, another song that was cut by Eddie James. And then, and then I had to like follow up, you know, <laughs> like I, I was the last 
like after all after these songs in a row, in a row. And it was definitely the feeling like, you know, all right, Junior, <laughs> you know, like you better go hell because we know what we just played, you know. And um <laughs> it was it was just a cool moment. Um, you know, you you don't have another choice. Like you have to just go you have to give give it hell, give it everything you got, you know. So at that point, I just put out a record called uh, I Rode the Wild Horses. And I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, like, I don't have the cuts that these guys do. You know, like, George Strait didn't cut my song. Like, Harry Carnick Jr. damn sure didn't. Like, but I wrote this song by myself. And if I'm going to play any of them, I'm going to play, you know, I Rode the Wild Horses because I know that – um you know, it's from my perspective. So for better or worse, you know, and it went off fine, but it was, it was, a it was, it was a cool moment in that, um, you know, that, that those guys like shared with me and they didn't have to, you know? So I guess, like I said, you know, it's, um, maybe the answer to all that is like, I'm, I'm starstruck more by the riders. Um, and don't get me wrong, man. Like, you know, if George Strait like came and knocked on the door, I'd probably be pretty freaking starstruck, right? <laughs> but, um, but the song, I'm just, I'm so blown away by songs, and, um, maybe because the lifespan's longer, um, and I know how hard it is to write, uh, or I know how often how hard it is to try to write a great song. Um, I don't know if I've ever written a great song, um, like a truly great song, um, so I just those like little memories like that, man, they're just, um, I'm kind of more struck by that than anything else, but I'm, I'm glad that I have those for sure. You know, I think that's really cool. And, and earlier you mentioned about, you know, how people can become, you know, kind of attached to the person and, and the guy singing. And I, obviously this is the first time any of us have interacted and just chatting with you, you know, you know, there's a lot of people that could sit here and name drop for 20 minutes, but you know, you're just talking about the the moments. I think that's really cool. I think that's what, you know, is what's going to make people be attracted to to you and your sound and your music and your stories is little things like that. So I, I say kudos to you for, you know, thinking of the cool moments rather than, than, you know, this guy and this guy. Cause I think that's, what's pretty special about in the world of music or rodeo or whatever you're in at the end of the day, people don't care if you were 90, they love hearing cool stories and hearing, hearing cool moments and, 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 and the same in music. So I, I think that's been the, the coolest thing is to sit here is hear you give those cool stories and those cool moments. Cause I, I think that's what people want to want to hear about an artist. Well, thank you. I think I just talked too much. <laughs> well, we've been talking about Clint Black and, and uh, cool stories and, and the bluebird national, but I mean, let's, let's talk about your music. Uh, we, we haven't even really dug into what's, what's on the horizon. Uh, I know it just, uh, I was just able to find it on iTunes and, and have a few listens of uh, Everybody Wants to Be a Cowboy and you got new albums coming and new music. So let's dive into to what we've been yeah. uh, been waiting to talk about is is your music and the stuff that's coming out because it, it sounds awesome. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, two weeks from now, so uh, August 11th, um, a song called Gone Are the Days are, is coming out. Um I wrote that with a friend of mine named Austin Plain up here. And, you know, the cool thing I think about the amount of time that I've, that I've lived here is, um, you know, 
sometimes your circle gets bigger and then smaller, you know? So I have this kind of small circle of songwriters that, um, that I write with um, a good bit that it's easy, you know, it's just, we're all on the same kind of like, we're on the same wavelength or on the same, you know, on, on the same page. And so that song, you know, it just kind of started out like, uh, one of us threw out that line like at the bar when we were hanging out and then we got together and wrote the song and it happened really fast. And, um, it ended up being, um, one of my favorite songs on the album. And then, um, in September, uh, I will have, I'll release a song called love like the old days, which is really special to me. Um, my wife who will tell you that she's not a singer sang on it and she sounds incredible. And, uh, it's it's such a stuff like that right now at this point in my life is such a full circle like it's just the more wholesome it can be man like that's that's where the good shit is you know for me um that's where it all makes sense that's where life all makes sense with who i'm as as a person as a husband um but who i am as a songwriter um and i'm really proud of that song and um i wrote it on an airplane with um a songwriter friend of mine named Aaron Ratier by happenstance. He's one of my favorite songwriters in town and he's an in-demand guy. So anytime that we would on the calendar, um, uh, it would get moved because like what'll happen is like, if I get a big hit like tomorrow, um, all of a sudden, um, and like if I have a publishing deal, all of a sudden my calendar will fill up with rights. Well, if I'm writing with Joe Blow, you know, I'm just a, a regular dude off the street. Um, I'll have that date on the calendar and that date is subject to move. If so-and-so at universal or Sony, you know, is looking to write that date. You see what I'm saying? It kind of, you kind of get bumped a little bit. So that was happening a lot, um, which is a great problem to have for Aaron for sure. And uh, we were flying back um, to Nashville from Austin we just happened to be on the same flight and uh, he's like, man, I'm so, you know, I'm so sorry that these, these dates haven't worked out. And uh, we were like talking across the aisle. We were talking over a guy. I was sitting in the middle seat, which was really funny, but uh, we were like talking over this guy and he's like, we got two hours, man. You want to write one right now? <laughs> and the guy was like, Shit, do y'all want to just switch seats? I was like, that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, but I pulled out my journal and then he pulled out his and I said, man, I got this idea. It's just a love song and it's not reinventing the wheel or anything, but it's called love like the old days. And then he circled on his journal. No shit. He circled on his uh, journal, old fashioned love. And we were like, what the, f like, yeah, that's gotta be, that's what we write, you know? And it's such, it, I, it, I know it sounds like such a basic idea, but it's one of my, there's a reason why it's like the, you know, the last single coming up for the record. It ended up being one of my favorite songs. Um, and then uh, the record will come out September 29th. Um, so tour in and we'll shoot a music video and just, you know, it, it's uh, album cycles are there. I, I was about to say they're fun, but I'd be lying. They're stressful. Um, but as long as the, you know, I always say as long as the phone's ringing, you know, it's all good. And as long as you're busy, it's all good. And um, I've been busy and, so I'm happy. Um, 
you know, I do look forward to having the record out and hopefully just being on the road. And when that's, uh, when that's the primary focus and, and not having to, um, uh, like work the admin of putting out a record, then, um, you can rest a little easier. You know, there's just so many moving parts, um, of putting out a record. Um, but it's, this has been such a labor of love. I'm so proud of it. Um, you know, for me, your, your favorite thing you put out should always be the last thing that you put out. Um, and this is my favorite thing that I've, that I've put out and it's a little different from everything else. And it's taken a lot of life to, to write these songs and, um, it's, I don't think it becomes any easier, but there is the realization. I think the older that you get of like, um, it's easier pill to swallow. Like when you, put these songs out they're not yours anymore you know um and you can't control what happens to them and you hope that they connect and you hope that uh you know shit like like sixty thousand songs get released to spotify a day you know and a hundred like the, yeah like a hundred and ten or a hundred or a hundred ten thousand get released on fridays when friday you know that's when albums usually come out um so you know, anymore, it's not so much the the hope that they connect, but it's the hope that you can break through, you know, that any that, that people find you in them. Um, so I don't know. We'll see what happens, man. I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, you know, as long as, as I'm doing everything I can to, to get it to people that I can sleep, uh, I can sleep easy, but there's always more work to do. So I don't sleep that easy, <laughs> you know. And then, uh, you know, I, I know Teddy's gotten in the show notes here about, you know, you're going to be touring and, and hitting some shows. We see you're, uh, you're going to be in the bright lights of Sin City come December. Is that, uh, is that some NFR, uh, timed, uh, shows at the Westgate? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't done Westgate yet. That'll be fun. I think, um, one of them is like a, a, a party for Cowboys and Indians. I think that's what I've been told. So, um, that'll be fun. Um, Plus, every year going to Vegas is a built-in anniversary like trip for my wife and I. Um, so, yeah, it's a. Uh, I've had years that have been crazy busy and very stressful, and, and I've had years that have been really fun. You know, I started going to Vegas like my permit year. I was like eighteen, and by the time I was twenty-five or twenty-six, I hated Vegas and I was over it. You know, like just it's a. It, the devil lives there. I'm convinced of that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but since I got married there and since I can, I've been able to kind of see it, you know, my wife's first rodeo that she went to was, um, uh, the night that I, um, gave her the, her wedding ring. The first rodeo she ever went to was like the, the third round of the NFR. And so I get to see a lot of this stuff like kind of for the first time through her eyes. And that's been cool because this, our world is, um, it's not foreign to her anymore, but it was, you know? Um, so that's kind of brought this different, um, this different kind of perspective, like of, you know, I'm obviously not acting how I would, would have acted when I was 20, 21 years old, um, in Las Vegas. And maybe just one uh, night when you're there. <laughs> Uh, dude, I can't handle it anymore, man. There's not a. Me neither. 
IVs on the planet to make me feel okay after those long nights. But, uh, yeah, so I don't hate it as much anymore. I, Vegas is fine. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, but we'll be there. Um, I'd have to look at the dates. Um, it's okay. We got 13, it. 14th and 15th. 13, 14th and 15th. See, I'm glad yeah. you got it. It's okay. We're on it. 14th, 15th. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I got to I got to ask one quick thing. Um, yeah. Okay. You got, I guess I got two things. I got tiger warrior and Heath the moss. I, I had to bring yeah. that up so we can get to that here in a bit. Yeah. But then, uh, uh, cowboy shit in a song. There's not many country music songs that are explicit in the lyrics, but it just so happens yeah. that the name of our show is cowboy shit and you have it in a song. So we got to hit those two points before we wrap it up. Sure. Sure. Um, so what do you want to know about the song? Hey, uh, what do, want, what do we want to know, Dustin? Well, we'd like to hear the backstory and why you put cowboy shit in a song. Yeah. Did you know about us? Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Just uh, kidding. Well, so the reason why, so a, a friend of mine, uh, uh, White Cody, um, Cote, if you want to split hairs about it, um, his family is from, uh, I guess, southwest, uh, Minnesota, like South Dakota border. And um, he has a Western background. And he was talking about, we were writing one day and he was talking about, you know, obviously extremely long story, very short, you know, the, the, the new rise of the popularity of Western culture is, is in the long run good for, for all of us. Right. But um, with anything, it's like, you know, sometimes it gets accidentally bastardized or, um, you know, like there's, there's no reason why like the models and like Stetson ads should be wearing their hats backwards. You know what I mean? Like that, and that, <laughs> yeah. that stuff like, but at the same time, it's like the popularity of Western culture and apparel had probably hadn't been this high since the eighties, you know, like urban cowboy days. Like seriously, it's, it's, it's huge. Um, but especially in Nashville, you know, we were talking about a lot of these songs that were coming out, these music row, these commercial country, like Nashville radio songs, you know, now all of a sudden you have to slip in the cowboy, but it was like, see songwriters that I forgot who penned the quote. Um, there's a, uh, it's a old rancher quote, but, um, it wasn't a boots O'Neill quote, but it was a, it, anyway, the quote was, you know, I, I could tell a, um, I could tell a cowboy, even if he wasn't wearing any clothes, you know, type of thing. And it's the same thing with like, with cowboy songs and rodeo songs. Like we know the difference, you know, we can tell like who has the vocabulary, who doesn't, you know, and just, it's like, it seems like here recently, um, the word cowboy or, or, the, or those types of storylines has been just as interchangeable as like, you know, the word truck was, you know, years before but now it's like all these, you know, kind of cowboy songs, but it's not written by cowboys. So we were kind of talking about that. And then we were talking about like, you know, all these kind of like Broadway cowboys um, in Nashville, you know, like now if you go down Broadway, you, you know, they have like the buy two pairs of boots, get one free. And like, it's like horrible hats and, you know, people just don't know. First of all, they're, First of all, people don't don't know. Second of all, there's not a cowboy culture here, you know. Um, 
and uh we were just kind of talking about that you know and um how a lot of these folks don't know and um but we'd also like had the the conversation of like what's good for the goose is good for the gander in the long run you know like shows like yellowstone and um you know and movies and magazines and it's it's all good you know it's all good for us it's it's good for um for rodeo it's it's good for um cowboy culture it's just it's all good in general um so we were just kind of messing around with some lines and wrote it as just a kind of a you know a, a half-hearted like tongue-in-cheek kind of joke of a song like not a joke of a song but you know of yeah i mean it's the hook is pretty jokey. Like everybody wants to be a cowboy till it's time to do cowboy shit. But um, even though like we're kind of referencing some of the stuff that's like uh, easy targets, kind of bless your heart targets. Yeah. This I think remains the same, you know, like kind of put up or shut up. Right. You know? Um, and uh, we wrote it and then we kind of looked at each other and was like, probably nobody will cut this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like i don't know who had cut it i was like shit i'll cut it he's like oh cool i don't think he believed me i was like no i'm being serious i'll cut it you know um and uh the funny thing is i don't know where i get off like i've lived here for 11 years and hadn't been on a bucking horse in 11 years like <laughs> i'm all of a sudden the gatekeeper on on who's handy and who's not but i figured if, if anybody was going to cut it in nashville there was only a handful of guys that could and I was one of them, you know, and I love the song and I like what it says. And we've all been frustrated, you know, where you like see a, you know, a, a, a goober. <laughs> hey, <laughs> we, we spend 10 days a year at the Calgary stampede. We see it. Um... Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> just, I was just saying, you know, whether it be the influencers or, or whatever. We've all had those moments of just like, Jesus Christ, like, what are we doing here? You know, like this is, this is horrible, whatever. But, um, I don't know, maybe all that stress about it just came out in the song because I don't think about it much anymore. And I'm fully ready by the way of somebody who's way handier than I ever was or ever will be to be like, this guy doesn't know his ass from his elbow. <laughs> You know, or just like I'm so ready for somebody to just like grill me and and roast me and talk so much shit. But um, I, I believe in what the song stands for, but I also believe that it should be tongue in cheek. You know. Um. Okay. Heath Moss and uh, and Tiger Warrior. That's in I rode the old. Yeah. Or I rode the wild horses, isn't it? Yeah. So my brother and uh and Heath were traveling partners, and um, when I was cutting that record. Um, I rode the wild horses. It was produced by um, a producer here in town named Eric Massey. And when I talked at the beginning of our conversation about some of the albums that I'd listened to, um, they kind of uh, made me want to move to Nashville. Like most of them were produced by this guy. Um, and I, I knew that if, if I had the opportunity to make a record with him, that I was going to, I was just going to figure it out and make it work so that's what i did and we'd cut this song and uh you know when i was also mentioned before like i was listening to like a lot of tom waits and stuff and it took me a while to figure out how to route like my you know rodeo song 
man, when we cut, I rode the wild horses. I had the thought, I was like, no, like my cowboy buddies aren't going to like this because if you take the lyrics, if you take the vocal track away, it sounds like a Tom Waits song. It's dark. It's moody. It doesn't sound like a country song. And, um, you know, we, we put out a music video for it, um, with some ranch buddies and it kind of went like, um, you know, for me viral, like on Facebook, it like had 250,000 plays or whatever views, whatever. Um, but while we were in the process of cutting song, Eric was like, uh, he's like, man, it'd be really cool. So, all right. I know I'm kind of like bouncing, but when I, when this happened more in the Southern region, but like, you know, at some point during the rodeo, like towards a bull ride and I, I got in the sauce a little bit, I'd, you know, be on the back of the buck and shoots, just doing kind of, you know, fake announcing, you know, we're going to look down to the man with a plan, you know, all the way from Manitoba, Canada, you know, on the bull, they call a hamburger. And so. I feel like I've doing- heard this. Now, now I remember who you are. I think I remember this. <laughs> you yeah. might, do you remember Randy yeah. Cortieri too? Randy was always up to I, some sweet antics I, back there. Yeah, he used to do that too. Yeah, uh, I know Randy Q really well. In yeah. fact, I'm getting to shoot the music video for uh, for uh, Everybody Wants to Be a Cowboy. Oh, really? So yeah. Randy, I actually, so I got a quick story with Randy. So he and I were in the same place, same time kind of thing. I bought a pair yeah. of shaps and a belt from him when he was going back to, back home at the end of the semester. And I, and I just gave him that belt back last week in Pinoca. He was up here for the <laughs> Pinoca stampede. And I was like, Randy, you know, I wore this belt for like 12 years. It was, all, you know, 15 years actually, because I got an 08 or 09 or whatever. Now it's 2000. So I've had it forever. And I'm like, here, man, like, you know, you, you give it to your kid or you take it, take it now. Like I, I got good use out of it. I, I think I need to give it back to you. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I don't know if it's going to fit though. Shit. <laughs> Yeah, we. So uh, is that is that you know that thing, you know, uh, you pay for your old seat, but you only need the edge here on a Saturday night. You know, that whole thing. So I was doing that, um, and uh, Eric was like, "You should put. We should do this at the end of the song." And uh, I was like, "Yeah, I don't know." I was like, "The thing is about rodeo announcing. It's like it's not like a monster truck rally. Like it's it's you know there's." entertainment behind it but it's not a joke you know it's i don't want anybody to, to think that this is like me making fun of anybody it's not that i was like if if i do this like it needs to um it needs to be uh serious it needs to kind of fit the song and um so my brother bonner and heath were traveling and uh i was like well shit i if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna reference somebody I want it to be somebody who's close to the family. You know, he's like a brother to me. So I called Heath and I was like, what's the rankest son of a bitch you've ever been on? Like, what is the hardest sucker to ride? You know, he's like Tiger Warrior without a doubt. And uh, we talked a little bit. I was like, all right, bingo. Like, that's it, you know. So that's where that came from. We did it in like one take, you know. I think I even said said that too, like a – Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to look down to the man with the plan. You pay for that whole seat, but you only near the edge. Looking down at the cowboy from Heflin, Louisiana, you know, Heath Demos on the horse they call Tiger Warrior. And, uh, yeah, that's where that came from. It was, it was, uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a complete just off the cuff type of thing. There's a little planning to it. I figured there was something to it. Yeah. I figured. Um, yeah. Well, we've got a lot of stuff here. Uh, um, I want to say, uh, 
thanks for doing the show with us. We got one question we ask everybody though. Um, Dustin, go ahead. Yeah. So we end every show with asking our guests what their definition of cowboy shit is. <laughs> it might great, be killing a bug. It's a moth. It ain't going to hurt much. It's not already moth eating in here. <laughs> um, great question. Um, first of all, thank y'all for having me. Seriously. Like this has been a blast. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I know I've probably talked a little bit too much, but um, you're not the longest show I've ever had. I will tell you that. So you're, this oh, is good. Great. I appreciate this as compared to somebody that gives me one word answer. So yeah, um, but definition of, of cowboy shit is, I guess mine would be when um, when things get hard or when you face adversity, um, not running away from it, but uh, jumping in and doing the best job you can with as much dignity as possible. You know, so whether it be cleaning shit, you know, or, or working a white collar job, you know, when it gets hard, jumping in and giving it everything with as much dignity as possible, you know, like, um, well, you know, the, the, like we were talking about earlier on the music side, the playing, the singing, man, that's the, that's the easy part, you know, the driving you know, four or 5,000 miles in a week and, you know, being away from, from everything you love and having to, and dropping your, I'm biting my tongue here, but dropping your damn transmission in Billings, Montana, you know, and can't figure out how you're going to get home. That's shit easy, you know, but, um, but, you know, being the, being the same type of winner and the same type of loser. You know, and, and and approaching everything that you can, um, especially when it gets hard with uh, with um, with hard work and dignity. I mean, I think that's that to me says it. You know, that's a hell of an answer. So, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Well, uh, Ross is on tour this fall. Uh, you can catch him in. Uh, I see at least three different states here. Uh, four on the on the schedule at uh, ross.cooper.com. Ross two S's, obviously dash Cooper, just like. The rest of the Coopers you know from the rodeo <laughs> business, but Ross-Cooper.com. Check him out on the social media, buy his merch in his shop on the website, and uh, and listen to the tunes. And and buy the damn music, people. You got to buy it. Thanks. It's worth it. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, though, Ross. Nice to meet you, too. Likewise. You're riding for the money. I got songs to sing. But hey, girl, don't you know? Singer gets a check every rodeo Ain't gotta make the shore go At the beer garden, baby, yeah, I'm the show Oh, I'll be playing all night Till the drinks run out or drunk start to fight Well, I'll be dreaming of the grandstand lights Down the road, but we still got tonight Still got tonight Thank you to Ross Cooper for joining the show this week. Best luck to Ross with his new single coming out on, uh, I guess, Friday. Yeah. yeah. He's a, he was a really good dude. Yeah, I enjoyed like, talking to him. I became a fan of him and his music by talking just by talking to him. Yeah, me which too. Which I think will probably go far for him. Uh, pretty cool story. Toss around all the old rodeo names and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and being around the same time in the college rodeos is kind of neat to yeah. have that connection there. 
go back a little ways and love a guy who just takes a chance and like, you know, what? I'm going to move to, it's funny. Cause all the names he was mentioning, like, I'm like, Oh yeah, listen to that stuff, that red dirt country. Yeah. And I'm like, I said that to him, like about leaving that scene. And he's like, that really wasn't me. Like, yeah, it's kind of somewhere else. so really cool story. Um, you know, any Cooper that's been on the show goes on to great careers. It's true. It's very so true. It's got to be the same for Ross. So yeah, we'll have to go check him out in Vegas at the NFR. Yeah, Westgate. absolutely. Westgate, the last couple of days of the NFR there. So that'll be good. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, on as far as things going up here, uh, this shows out on the 9th of August. You all are listening. We'll be in, I'll be in Dawson Creek, Dustin, where Co-field, are you? Field PBR. Cofield. Okay, yeah. right on. So everybody, Co-field. Curtis Newfeld and, and then, Sean Morton. And then our 150th podcast uh, is going to be out on the 20, what is it again? 20, it would be the 9th, 23rd of August. So we're having a party at HQ on the 17th. 4620. On the uh, 17th of August. Anybody that wants to come by, come check out the house, come hang out. We'll have a party. We'll do a show. Cowboy ship beer will be hopefully still in hopefully stock still at in that stock. time. <laughs> we'll <laughs> see if it's still it. around at that time. Yeah. We got to get a few flats for, yeah. uh, for the show. So I'll be on the grill. I'm going to get a get oh, some yeah? dogs. Yeah. Oh, some dogs. We're going to get some birds and dogs. We got, lots, dogs. we got lots of birds here too. Yeah. I'm going to get some cowboy ship barbecue and apparel. Hey, that wouldn't be bad. Get your little apron. Yeah. A little chef hat. Oh, yeah. It'd be fun. Gotta so do it. so anybody that's listening that wants to come to the party, uh, just give me a shout. Come by the house. Do some karaoke. Probably karaoke, some yeah. Cornhole, maybe? Yeah, we could probably got to get some cornhole boards. But some cowboy shit cornhole boards. Some uh, ladder ball. Oh, yeah. We've got ladder ball in the backyard, too. So, yeah, come on, check it out. Funny come, games. Come and see us. Be a fun uh, fun evening of games and activities. Um. Yeah. What else? Oh, I don't know, man. It's uh, Keeley PBR. Got to go yeah. there soon. Lethbridge Rodeo, Dallas yeah. Market. We got brand new cowboy shit coming down the pipe. But uh, yeah, delivering like it's gonna be awesome. yeah, it's delivering this week. We got a bunch of new designs, a bunch of new stuff. We're going to the Dallas Market. Uh, the twenty second, we fly down there. Shows the twenty third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. So four days of show there from uh, I guess Wednesday to Saturday. Um. Yeah, people are gonna like it. I think I I'm, hope everybody gonna, likes it. I'm yeah, tease it a little bit. Okay, because I'm not like uh you know, a clothing expert or design expert, but I just flipped through it today and I think it's really, really badass. I'm glad you it's like it. It's going to be a really cool, really cool line. I think people are going to like it. So I don't know if I ever told you, but my friend, uh, Paul Bizet, he, I met him at the golf course. Actually, we met him at the, at the, at a hockey game in the playoffs a couple of years ago. And he and his buddy, Dale, like guy that he works with, were at the hockey game and they sat down in the wrong seats. But I noticed that he was wearing a Valley Ridge hat and I was like, Hey man, where'd you get that hat? He's like, Oh, I golf there. I was like, no shit. Me too. So we got like kind of hooked up like from him sitting in the wrong seats because they were kind of loaded from drinking because it was yeah. playoffs and they were drinking beers. The dome foams. The dome foams. And uh, yeah, so we got talking and then we got hooked up and we got golfing and got to be buddies. And then yeah, his companies helped make the new designs like that one that you have there. That one I toned back a bit. It was, it did say bang, bang motherfuckers on it at one point. <laughs> So that was a bit aggressive. So I was like, ah, oh, we probably should just tone that one yeah, back. Just, it's one of my favorite hats. Yeah. I this at uh, Medicine Hat on the weekend. So. Yeah. So so we got going to bring out a few new designs. But but yeah, check it out. Uh, it'll all be on the website here pretty soon. Cowboyshit.ca. Check it out. Yeah. It's going to be good stuff. Lots of perfect time for the fall for the new wardrobe. It's true. It's true. It'll be in stores online. Uh, you can find a lot of different places. So yeah, make sure you follow us on the social medias. Um, see us at events out there. Looking forward to uh, the 150th. Like I said, we uh, it's a little early. We haven't figured out a guest yet for that one, uh, but we're gonna get to it and we'll figure out a yeah, little. We're gonna have some fun with it. It'll be a fun. It's gonna be a fun way. 
Yeah. Maybe we'll just put the karaoke on the whole show. Whoever <laughs> comes out, it'll be a straight karaoke podcast. Oh, could you with imagine? heckling the entire time? Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Oh. Maybe that's what we'll do. If you have an idea that's better than that, let us know. But if not, that's probably the plan for now. <laughs> probably a few, but yeah. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> thanks again to our guest this week, Mr. Ross Cooper. Appreciate you being on the show. Thanks again, my co-host Dustin Edwards. I'm Ted Stoven. This is Cowboy Shit. Our uh, editor. As always, Mr. Sean Morton, we appreciate you. Thanks for uh, taking the time to redo this closing with us. And uh, Storm Defoe, always appreciate you. Make sure to check out those new check out those new designs. Check us out on social media, and uh, and we'll see you all again in a couple weeks. Thanks. Baby, you're spinning. Table full of cigarette butts This ain't your first time Feels like it's so much Baby, you're a loaded gun Cock back and take in hate You ain't never loved For anybody's last night See in the morning You'll be and I'll be waiting here Telling you my goodbyes Red eyes full of tears Oh, and you all out You won't look back At the number that you left on the shelf Oh, I'm trying not to fall in love I just can't help myself